0: Hello, hello, educators of the future. You are currently tuned in to Aster Education. I am your host and facilitator, Robert Astwood, and I'm super, super psyched to see you guys back at the podcast today. So today we're going to be talking about learning. Beautiful topic. Now, like most topics, I feel like learning is a bit misunderstood, um, I'm, I'm super curious, like, you know, if you guys have any questions or ideas or theories about learning and you guys want to share, uh, feel free to go ahead and contact me at Twitter. My Twitter is at Aster underscore education. And you can also email your questions, your, your theories on learning, your ideas on learning. Email me at Aster dot education one. At gmail.com. So, learning, what what is it? What does it mean? Uh, how do we use it? How can we conceive of it? For you educators out there listening to this, you guys probably all have your own perceptions on learning and how we should, you know, actualize it in the classroom. Um, and again, please send those in. I would love to hear them. Uh, but what I'm gonna be talking about today is just really my own personal view on learning uh, what learning, how I view it, what I think its purpose is, what it means to me. Um, yeah, so let's just, let's get started. So what does it mean to learn? When we learn something, we are adding that information into our personal mental to be accessed whenever we need it. When we truly learn something, it almost becomes a part of you. Like, you know, you, you make it like a part of your, your mental psyche. It's like just a part of your personality to illustrate my meaning allow me to contrast true learning with the concept of memorizing. So as you guys know, in schools right now, um, in K through 12 and a lot of our, you know, public school systems, uh, we have this for some reason, this strict adherence to route memory, um, to just prioritizing memory over constructing knowledge, over constructing understanding and over having some kind of relevant, like information, you know, um, for some reason, memory is a really big thing. and and don't get me wrong, memory is completely and utterly vital in terms of your education in terms of who you are as a person and in terms of your ability to make new knowledge. you know So I want you guys to go ahead and take let's take a trip back. let's go back to you know high school times, you know back to when you had that big math test coming up in the next two days uh, and you still didn't know the difference between you know an obtuse and acute triangle, right? <laughs> How do you make sure you pass without using these furtive tactics, you know, without being a sneak? Well, you cram! You memorize the rules, the formulas, and you do just enough that you'll be able to at least get a passing grade, you know, a halfway decent mark. And what usually happens as a result of these kinds of tactics? Hey, who's messing with the audio? It's likely that you didn't even know what math even was, you know? You forgot every single concept, right, that you guys, that you went over. Now, this is a bit of an exaggeration, but it is highly likely that you have forgotten most, if not all of the information on that test. Now, why is that? Well, the information that you rapidly obtained, you didn't truly learn it. It was merely just rented. The significance of this distinction is the transient possession of information as opposed to the permanent retention of it. Let me say that one more time. The significance, the importance of this distinction I'm making here is the transient, the temporary possession of information as opposed to the permanent retention of it. So true learning is when you permanently retain information. When you rent information is when you have it for a a short amount of time. To restate differently, when you memorize information, you only own it for a brief period and boom, it's gone. Now, I'm not only referring in terms to one's long-term memory, for there's there's pieces of information that have been truly learned, right? Like I'm not talking about long-term here. I'm talking about short-term. The things that you've truly learned in your long-term memory have actually become a part of your personal consciousness. I am referring only to the rented information stored in short-term memory. Rented information is not incorporated into who you are as a person. However, Upon truly, like really, truly learning something, it stays with you. You know, you just can't get rid of it. You, you just, you, you can't get, you can't let it go. It affects how you are, who you are, and it makes up a portion of your cognitive arsenal. It is another piece of your unique personality. Now, for these reasons and these reasons alone, I refer to learning as the absorption and retention of information or knowledge or insight or understanding or what have you. It is the act of gaining a practical comprehension of the knowledge being exposed and the information that is learned is used to then help that person view and behave in the world. So check this out, simply put, you guys, teachers, you could teach, you know, we could teach all we want, but if the person is not absorbing or coming away with some kind of new understanding, or more importantly, a practical comprehension of your information, then the learning has not occurred. And by practical comprehension, I mean actually being able to use the information that they learned today, right now, in their daily lives. That's what I mean by practical comprehension. A big part about education, in my mind, is being able to actively, consistently, and persistently use information that we learn in our daily lives and it be relevant to us and useful and practical. Other, other than, like, why, why else are we learning it? For trivia? No, this is, this is not Alex Trebek. We're not on Jeopardy. You know, this is life. Now, another interesting thing about learning, you know, the concept of, like, you know, a learned item, when you learn something, I believe that, you know, when you learn a concept, you don't need to remember it, right? <laughs> when you learn something, there's no need to, oh, what was it again? Oh, it was this, this, and that. There's no need to remember because it's a part of who you are. You know, it's a part of your personal psyche, your personal conscious and you know you can just call on it whenever you need it it's in your mental reserves so speaking of memory let's talk about it memory if learning is the absorption and retention of new information what is its relation to teaching well the two are dependent on one another now let me make this point clear i do believe that teaching and learning while they are dependent on each other they are their own separate activities Now, since teaching is the inception of education, it serves as the foundation of learning. If teaching is the exposure and explanation of new concepts, then learning is the acquisition and retention of these new concepts. Therefore, I posit where teaching ends, learning begins. In my mind, teaching occurs solely within the teacher, the facilitator, the exposer, the revealer, while learning can only be actualized by the learner. Let me make this clear. I believe that teaching can never be actualized by the teacher themselves. All the teacher can do is really say them the lesson, give the information, try to understand the student's needs, tailor, you know, service to the student's needs, Um, You know, try to communicate the best way, you know, using differentiated instruction, culturally sustaining pedagogy and the like. Um, But in the end, if learning hasn't occurred, there's something on the learner's end that they need to take care of. It's a two way street. So what facilitates the learning process? One obvious facet of this is physical health and capability. One's mental faculties must be fully operational and be able to store information for future use. While memorizing is a way of renting information, the process of remembering is a crucial element to learning. Now, I don't mean to suggest that, you know, students with learning disabilities can't still learn effectively. Oh, they can. However, they simply just need other methods of instruction. You know, when I say one's brain must be fully operational or one's mental faculties, I'm talking people that like simply just can't speak or can't form sentences or can't recognize, you know, emotions or a combination of these, you know, like really severe mental uh, deficiencies is what I mean, not like small learning disabilities or quote unquote disabilities. For learning, memory is the adhesive that holds all the knowledge that you've accumulated over time. For without memory, you would not be able to build a foundation to begin with. For this reason, it is vital to note the significance of memory in the learning process. Take for example, you are learning a new language. Now in a new language, you usually learn rudimentary vocabulary words and then some of the basic grammar rules. However, if you are unable to remember and internalize the rules of the basic language or the basic vocabulary, you won't be able to reach fluency. How can you make these words, or how can you use these words and rules to your advantage and make them a part of your repertoire if you forget them every single time you go to retrieve them in your mind? It will be hard for you to try to use your Spanish skills to ask for the price of a book if you could never even remember to say, hey, how much does this book cost? In Spanish, of course. Hence, memory provides you access to information that you have obtained. But just because the information is accessible, does not mean that you'll automatically remember everything that you encounter. In order for you to recall information that you choose to retain, you must be present when learning. Now, this is a big thing in schools. A lot of the times, you know, teachers might wonder or, you know, educators might wonder, why aren't students learning? Why is learning not occurring? And the problem is simple. You know, either your students are interested or or they're not They're not present. They're not mentally there, you know, like their their mind is someplace else. You know how they say, oh, your your body is physically here, um, but your mind is someplace is elsewhere. That's essentially what is what's happening. You know, you don't want to have students not present in schools. So what what, how do we figure this out? How do we you know how do what's our solution to this? Well, first, you got to start asking them, you know, why aren't they present? You know, what's going on? Ask the students. Hey, what's going on? What do you want to focus on? What are you interested in? How can I get you to be all in? How can I get you to be mentally here? You know, what do you find intriguing in the class? Or why is this not, why do you, why are you not present? You know, is there something at home? You know, ask them why, ask them what's going on. A lot of the time students wanna learn, but we just need to know how to speak with them in order to get them to open up to us. Focus. See, I was originally gonna call this attention, and then last second, I literally just changed it like a few seconds ago to focus. Because um, when I think about focus, like, all right, so attention, when you pay attention, like, all right, yeah, you're you're directing yourself towards something, right? But when I think about the word focus, it sounds much more precise, um, like narrow lensed, like you're narrowing in on something as opposed to only, so like you're paying your attention, you're paying your undivided 103,000% attention. Like it's just kind of like a boosted version of, of attention. So that's why I chose focus. So to start, let's let's start with some questions. Let's ponder the idea of desire and learning. Is desire required to learn? Better still, consider the question, can you learn even if you do not want to? Is it possible to learn by mistake? To answer these odd questions, let's imagine a prospective grad student looking to pursue their master's degree. In order to be admitted into grad school, there are various grueling requirements that this student must meet. This test consists of verbal, math, and writing exercises. Now, unless you enjoy taking standardized tests and sitting for three hours, not being able to, you know, go to the bathroom or having to risk going to the bathroom and missing out time, this is a tedious part of the application process. All right. So our hypothetical student must prepare for it. Right. Basically, that's what they got to do. Now, even though our student doesn't want to be bothered with the testing information, he is still able to use some kind of self-teaching method or, you know, go online or he's able to teach himself. Right and he can absorb knowledge on the appropriate subjects. But he is still capable of gaining said knowledge in order to gain you know, a decent score. Whether or not he retains the information afterwards is inconclusive. It is likely that because of his disregard for the GRE, that his learning will probably only be temporary and he'll st- still gain knowledge for what he needs to know for the test, but. probably won't actually he'll just rent the information you know he won't actually retain it and add it to himself as a person so how is he able to do this you know how is he able to learn something that even though he doesn't want to do it he does it what enables him to learn this new information despite his own wishes well one might say that his desire to attend graduate school outweighed his desire to disregard the gre and therefore Desire is the active agent for his behavior. Now, I'm definitely going to say that desire is uh, a factor in this. It's it's a, it's an agent here. Um, I'm not going to say it's the only thing. I'll, I'll say it's the fuel, right? Like, let's say desire is his fuel for for doing it. You know, for for wanting to uh, go to grad school. Boom, that's what he wants to do. So, because of that desire, he'll do he'll do something that he doesn't want to do, right? So it's kind of like you don't have to like what you do in order to. Do what you love, right? So he doesn't like the GRE, but he's doing the GRE in order to pursue a philosophy degree to teach philosophy to students, because that's what he loves to do. So check this out. While desire is not necessarily needed in order to learn the material for the GRE, like he doesn't have to want to learn about math or, you know, language arts in order to learn it, it sure as hell makes your learning more effective. Why? Desire serves as the fuel to learn something. The reason that you learn is to achieve some greater goal or understanding. Once there is sufficient desire, the act of learning is facilitated by another factor, which we'll term as focus. So even though our student doesn't want to learn the testing material, his desire for grad school pushes him to stay focused. As I mentioned before, this focus aspect is super vital to the learning process. So why is focus so important in relation to learning? So keeping with our grad student example, let's think, let's say that he has a you know, a GRE study session um, and he's paying limited attention to the information being exposed and explained, right? We can imagine this in two teaching methods. First, picture our grad student using a self-teaching method to expose himself to GRE strategies and tactics. During this session, he'll be watching things like clips uh, or you know, like short videos on maybe some text completion questions or you know maybe some algebra equations things like that, uh, but while he's doing this, he's also talking to his girlfriend on the phone. Now this is basic. This is nothing astronomically you know crazy here. He's have he has split attention. Like if he's talking to his girl on the phone, obviously he's not going to be able to you know effectively focus on the GRE. So hence if you have your attention split, like you know how they say that oh you know you can multitask. Like people say oh I'm a great multitasker. I don't know, I, I don't buy that. I, I feel like you can't, if I always tell people this, hey, you can't effectively multitask because as humans, we're kind of, we're designed to focus on one thing. That's why it's hard to talk to two people at once. I mean, like, I guess if you practice it a lot, like if you practice multitasking, maybe you could be good at it, but naturally, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's better. You, you could put more 100% of yourself into something if you focus all of it, all all in on one thing at one time as opposed to trying to spread yourself too thin. So that's basically what I'm saying here with the the focus. So look, this is the bottom line I'm really trying to get to you guys, right? Educators, even if you are exposed, right? Like for your students, even if you expose your students to knowledge and you explain it in a super cogent way and it's really understandable and you use differentiated instruction and you use all these different methods, that person, that student, has to also be tuned into your message or else they won't receive it. So our our question moves from why is our learner not learning to, all right, how do I get this person tuned into what I'm saying? You know, it's kind of focusing on what you can do to get that learner involved. See, this is the part I'm trying to get to you guys about teaching. You know, this is what I think about teaching. Teaching, in my mind, has to do with the teacher not the learner, has to do with the teacher, right? Like it's about what you do. Of course, it has to do with understanding the learner and who you're talking to, right? Don't misunderstand. But when I say it has to do with the teacher, I mean that it has to do with the actions that you take, you know, the things that you do in order to actually get that student to tune into you, right? So it's this concept of tuning in that we wanna ask, you know, all right, ask the student, you know, how, what can we do to get you more engaged or, what do you think will be more interesting? Or what's a better way for us to go about this lesson? Or what would you find more interesting? You know, just showing that you care about them or care about their interests. In my mind, I feel like would make them more receptive or make them more likely to give you something, likely to give you an answer, give you something to work with. So you really want to get students to tune in. So think about it like this. It's like trying to listen to a radio station on the wrong frequency. Even though the radio is on, if it's not properly tuned into the appropriate channel for your desired program, all you're going to hear is ksh, ksh, static, analogous to this, if you aren't tuned in to the exposure of new concepts. So if you as a learner or if you as an educator, if you as an educator are not tuned into your learner, all you're going to hear in response from them is static. or Conversely, if the learner is not tuned in to the, the teacher's message, all they're gonna hear back is static. Now, the naysayer. I do acknowledge that there are some instances in which attention is not necessarily required in order to, to learn something about the world in relation to ourselves. Consider an example concerning fire in which we place her hand in the flame. We'll experience playing super quickly, and we'll take our hand out of the flame, right? This cancellation of the previous movement is an implicit reaction. It happens before we even think. We don't have to pay attention to that. Oh, we don't have to pay attention to the fact that fire is hot. We just, oh, learn from that experience, learn from that feeling of the flame being hot. Boom, we remove the, the, fl- the fire from the flame. The fire from the flame. <laughs> Talking too fast for my own good here. We remove our hand from the fire, right? This is how it happened the very first time we ever even touched fire. You know, and speaking of fire, I got some new ideas, and they're really piping and sizzling. But you know what? Let me just hold off until the next episode, which will actually be on the ways in learning, and we'll basically explore, you know, just the various ways in which we acquire knowledge and ways in which we interact with the world. Um, and yeah, let's really see what we come up with. And as always, you can contact me with your new ideas, thoughts on education, learning, teaching, and whatever else I come up with as we go along, uh, you can contact me at Twitter at Aster underscore education. And remember to send me emails, man. Send me some emails. Send me emails at r one at gmail.com. So thanks, guys, for tuning in. And remember, stay cultivating. <laughs>